This is Edge Cases. I'm Andrew Pontius. And I'm Wolf French. And what's our topic this week, Wolf? Click to flash behind the music. Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. I was actually just looking at Click to Flash. I've got a relatively new laptop, as our listeners know, I think. And I just recently installed Click to Flash on it. Oh, okay. That's, so, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Um, so I don't believe you have any follow-up, but I've got a little bit of follow-up. Yeah. Um, I guess I can call him friend of the show, Graham Lee, um, Sec Boffin, S-E-C-B-O-F-F-I-N, on Twitter and app.net. Um, contact me on app.net saying that he had, um, he'd listened to the Clang episode and he had made his own project to use the Clang library and the index APIs to index his project. You know, of course he has, right? Because he did the other thing, which used Clang as, as the way to build stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it is available at, well, I'll put a link in the show notes, uh, bitbucket.org, imweg slash objective browser. Um, and he mostly says in his readme, you know, don't use this. I just threw this together as a lark. Um, uh, but but it does it does work apparently. And it's interesting because he's using different uh, index APIs than I am. He's using something called, I put it here, Clang underscore index translation unit, which has a bunch of callback pointers. And he was saying in his, in his post about it, which I'll also put in the show notes, um, that he was getting called back on a separate thread that was maintained by Clang itself, by the Clang library, when he was getting called back for, the, for these, uh, this call. And that's interesting because it's completely different than what I experienced because I was using uh, the cursor APIs uh, where I said Clang underscore get translation unit cursor and then Clang underscore visit children with block, which took that cursor. And w- when I was looking through it just just you know today in response to his post here, and uh, it looks like, um, since I'm never calling that index function, my stuff is, it, it seems like the, the, the work is being done in that in the parse function that we're both calling. And when I call the cursor, it doesn't look like it's going to another thread to do its work. It's, it's, it's just calling me back on the same thread with that block. So I'm not quite sure what's going on with that. Um, uh, I wonder if they change things a bit under the hood. Uh, but the main issue with that is I was wondering whether it was thread safe. And uh, I believe Graham was, was kind of saying, well, they do everything on their own thread, which might make it more thread safe. But I think with the conflicting information I have, I would still probably stay away from trying to parse two things at once because I still don't know whether they would lock their information store if I try to get information out or put two different kinds of information in at the same time. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. So that's what I got. Okay, then I'll get started. <clears throat> so <clears throat> the story of click to flash uh, begins in January 23rd, 2008, where, uh, where Stephen Frank, co-founder of Panic, uh, which everyone loves, um, <laughs> Uh, tweeted a link to a new Google Code project, and I'll include a link to the in, in the show notes. And it was a pretty short tweet. It just basically was uh, HTTP colon slash slash click to flash uh, dot Google Code dot com. Ah, finally. <laughs> so that's, okay. and you can tell if you actually click on that link, you can tell it's an old tweet because the the URL there is actually not hyperlinked. I guess when when Twitter went back and uh, decided to, you know, they seem to link all the at usernames, but they didn't bother actually hyperlinking all the HTTP URLs. But anyway. So then they didn't make it a TCO link? Uh, no, no, no. It's no, just because a plain it's old not text. a link, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, and, those were the days. <laughs> right, when, we, when the, your URLs actually burned up your 140, yeah. 
Um, so I should first mention what click to flash is. So it's actually quite clever. It is a it is a a plugin for Safari, uh, kind of generally and more specifically for WebKit. So um, it's quite clever how it works. Um, so it so Adobe has their Flash plugin, and their Flash plugin uses the old school Netscape API for browser plugins, which is a C API. And so it's a, essentially these are carbon plugins, and their APIs have gone uh, a little bit more mo- modernized since like the Mac OS eight days or whatever. But uh, it's, you, you can't do like quartz rendering and stuff like that. But it's, it's, it's older older school stuff. And so the interesting thing about uh, Adobe's Flash plugin is that it actually registers for two MIME types. It registers for application slash x dash shockwave dash flash, and it also registers for application slash future splash. And I don't know what the... I, I think maybe future splash was a code name, or I don't even know the history. I didn't even bother <laughs> looking it up. The point yeah. is, nobody uses future splash. And that is key to how click to flash works. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so click to flash is a WebKit plugin. Its extension is .web plugin. And so uh, it is... It re- it also registers for application slash x dash shockwave dash flash. So, it, but because it's a native plugin, it gets priority to <laughs> you get the code first, right? Yeah, yeah. So what happens is that you go to a flash page like on YouTube or something, and uh, and Safari da- looks around for plugins that can handle this this content type of x of application slash x dash shockwave. Uh, dash flash, and click the flash is first in the list, so it gets called first. And so, what click the flash does is something very simple. It just renders the now famous subtle gradient box with a very nice tasteful flash logo, which is incidentally was iPod inspired. I think I think it was actually inspired by like the the gigabyte rating uh, on the back of iPod that says you know this is a sixteen gigabyte unit or whatever that nice little round rect and that font and all that so that's where that where the nice little flash because I I don't know if Flash even has a logo or whatever but it's uh, but uh, we, we decide to do that it's like horns and a tail maybe <laughs> and so. What happens is that it renders this very nice, tasteful gradient that kind of invites you to click on it. And if you do click on it, what it will do is that it will find the element that represents that MIME type, and will dynamically it will use the DOM, the HTML uh, document object model, to switch the MIME type dynamically to application slash future splash. And so at that point, WebKit notices, hey, I have a new MIME type here, and it will actually go and load the actual Flash plugin. Mm, yeah, okay. So that's the, the little, little mechanism of how Click the Flash worked. And there's a bunch of pros to Click the Flash. Uh, first, that I, there were some tricks to do this before, and uh, they were input manager hacks. So they, they affect all your applications <laughs> and stuff yeah. like that. And um, <clears throat> there's also a security type aspect. Uh, you basically only load the Flash you want, which reduces the attack surface oh, area. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of the interesting things here is that uh, flash cookies turns out to be really strong sauce. Um, I have a, a, a blog posting up on this that I'll link to from the show notes. But the takeaway here is that flash cookies have uh, a 
four things that you might not have suspected. That number one, that they can store more data than browser cookies, up to 100 kilobytes without user intervention. Right. So they mm-hmm. so they can burn up some hard drive space there, or flash storage space, which I guess is added more of a premium. Um, flash cookies span browsers, so that same flash plugin that you use in Safari, you can use in Chrome, you can use in Firefox. And so if you think you're using a different browser to kind of cover up your trail, no, your flash same flash. Right. Uh, that that's a little bit changed now. Uh, now that Apple doesn't bundle Flash, and now that uh, Chrome includes its own Flash. Oh, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's changed. But um, So sites can actually use Flash cookies to re- resurrect browser cookies. So you can do things where you like, like, oh, this one site, I, I just want to nuke my identity. But if it's basically you store the backup of that cookie data in Flash cookies, if you, if you don't also go into the Flash UI right. to delete those cookies, then it can resurrect the, the HTML cookies for that. And and last but not least, flash cookies never expire by default. So those um, most cookies, I I think you can set like five year limit or something. I don't even know what what the limit is there. I know that Google famously had a a a infinite cookie or something uh, on Google.com for a long time. I don't know. They still do, but uh, I don't know if you can do infinite cookies or whatever. But anyway, the, by default, they never expire. And so uh, you. I guess we're just kind of assuming that um, one, of the, one of the reasons you want to want Flash all the time is because of, is primarily because Flash is a CPU pick and it's crashy. So um, on the CPU pick uh, problem, that <clears throat> if you can lower CPU usage, uh, you just end up getting battery life. You get less fan usage. You get less heat, and energy is uh, is a pretty important thing. That's one of the reasons why uh, ten point nine has the energy shaming menu, right? Is because this is a big issue, especially now that most Macs are portables. Yep. And of course, um, Flash being crashy, it'd probably be the number one way. This is uh, back in the day before WebKit two, where you'd have uh, separate uh, WebKit processes. Right. And so, probably the number one way to take down uh, Safari, Safari back yeah. in the day was uh, with flash crashes. And so, if you could not, if you could reduce the amount of flash you loaded, the more likely your Safari will keep on chugging away. And uh, this was a really important for uh, people like on old like PowerPC iBooks and stuff like that. That um, if you. That it was recently, it was a still a decent machine for browsing web in that era, but. It, it once you threw Flash Edge, things really went to pot. So if you could only load the Flash that you only need, then it, it, it could uh, basically extend the effective lifetime of that machine. And so, um, well, and the, the other the other yeah. thing, I mean, maybe you're going to get to it, but the reason I installed Click to Flash on my new machine was not so I could turn off Flash. I didn't have Flash installed. Can you guess why I did install it? Um, you really love YouTube. I wouldn't have phrased it that way, but yeah, because <laughs> it because it uses that same ability to to masquerade as Flash to mm-hmm. be able to tell YouTube to use the HTML5 yeah version and mm-hmm. never use Flash at all. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Good point. Yes, that is, it is on the list, and okay. I'll t- talk about it a little bit later. Um, so there was this Google Code project, and so a, b- a bunch of developers actually kind of jumped on it, and Gus Mueller, Chris Parker. And John Francois Roy all kind of did their own little patches to it. That I, I forget who did what 
And this is kind of the fuzzy memory that doesn't actually work for me. I bet if I could dig, dug into my real archives, I could find it. But uh, for this podcast, uh, <clears throat> what I end up doing is that I end up gathering up their patches. I merged them all together, and then I uploaded the, the merge result into GitHub. And then I uh, tweeted um, that uh, thanks to these guys, an enhanced version of Click to Flash that supports site whitelisting. I pointed to the, my uh, GitHub uh, repo for this. And I did this on January 26th. So this was, what, three days after Steven's uh, original tweet. And little did I realize that I had just become the de facto project owner. <laughs> <laughs> all I did, I didn't actually contribute any code. All I did was merge all these various patches together and upload them to the repo. Wait, so um, it was the same. It was the same repo. Um, that was. It was from the. It was from code.google.com. Uh, okay, and it was that, a Google Code project. Okay, okay. And I think that might have even been subversion, because I didn't. Yeah. When I uploaded, I didn't have any Git history there. So I think that's one of the things I did. Is that well, I? Actually, so you kind of took it and just put it on GitHub without kind of asking anybody. Right. Well, it wasn't under <laughs> MIT license. So. Sure, but still. <laughs> Yeah, you're, people were writing of, patches. And yeah. as you know, Google Code, I, I don't even know, even to this day, whether it has a pull request mechanism, but <laughs> GitHub is where pull requests happen, man. Sure, sure. It's, <laughs> it's kind of funny that it was that ad hoc. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, the day afterwards, on January 27th, the project's author and owner deleted the Google Code project. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, totally deleted. So... <clears throat> And what's interesting is that the author went out of his or her way to rename, remain anonymous. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the uh, interesting thing is that if you, if you go to any Google Code project now, uh, it will list the project members. And somehow it was anonymized. I don't know if it was like throw away a Gmail address or, or maybe sure. they even have an email address listed. I don't know how it worked. But I just remember it was, was no way, way to talk to them. Um, and then, of course, the standard Xcode file headers were you know, they, they include like the username with the copyright username, date. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was replaced with copyright click to flash developers. <laughs> and there was a final thing. You sure that, it wasn't you. <laughs> I am Batman. Um, there was, uh, and there's this final thing that uh, Xcode in that era, I think it still is, still has this, uh, has this thing it likes to do where it has these uh, PBX user turned oh, yeah, files yeah, that, mm-hmm. that at least would give you the username. Because the idea is that you have this project file, and I might want to have my workspace set up one way, and you might want to have it set up another way, and maybe we have different windows open or whatever. whatever. So we're going to have that information, we're going to need to store that information on a per user basis. And so this is where Xcode stores these in this information on, and at least it did back then. I don't know where what it does now, but it's uh, in .pbx user uh, files, and it would be named after Unix username. So for me, it'd be wolf.pbx uh, user. Uh, for you, I imagine it'd be probably apontius. Apontius.pbx user. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that would at least give you the Unix username, which could be you know quite insightful to who originally authored that. But this <laughs> person, let me guess, it was missing. And that person is up on their game because they made sure that never hit the repo. Well, and I always do that too. I always make sure that those are in the the git ignore or svn ignore or whatever it is. Yeah, that, that's right, right, right. But so it's, it's really it's really a pain when those get uploaded because they always change. Yeah, yeah. So you um, you can do that without wanting without being you know, uh, 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 you know uh, uh, a shadow vigilante. But, <laughs> but it, yeah, sure they they took care of that too. 
Yeah, so um, I think what happened is that uh, Gruber ended up linking to it, and I actually should uh, put a link to that here. Gruber link, so I remember to put that in the show notes. And uh, I think what happened is that Click the Flash got a lot more attention than the original author desired. And <laughs> yeah. And and maybe, you know, it made me thinking, you know, speaking too highly of myself here, maybe he or she thought it was in good hands because I had forked it and started merging patches or whatever. Well, now, for the record, have you ever talked to this person? No, but uh, yeah. I've never I've never been contacted by the original author. And to this day, I still don't know who came up with the original idea or the code. Um, I did have a tweet on this uh, where I laid out my conspiracy theory that uh, my that <laughs> it was originally written by an Adobe employee. Oh uh, yeah, okay. Because that would that would totally explain knowing about the mime type machinery. And you know, if you're actually a Flash developer at Adobe, you know exactly what, what needs to be done to get all the stuff to work. <laughs> and so I'm thinking a Flash uh, a Mac, you know, the someone on the Mac team for Flash. Yep. Also, did not like Flash, <laughs> and they they well, want to. Let's hope no Adobe managers are listening to this podcast. Right. Um, that said, there there are a couple of telltale signs in the project, um, but I'm not going to call them out because the author obviously wants to remain anonymous. But I will leave that out there, maybe for future generations. If, if they, they want to, if they want to come clean and and announce it to the world, <laughs> they can come onto the this this show. There we go. Possibly our live episode. Yeah, there you go. So the uh, so I, I did a, f- a few things. Confusingly, its v- version number was 5.0. I don't know what that. I think that was just like standard <laughs> template stuff. So I changed it to 1.0. And then I have this problem where you know it's, mm-hmm. it's not really the 1.0 because there you know, there was a there was a file release that was written by this original author. And so it's wrong for me just to say this is 1.0. So I I came up with a scheme that I called 1.0 plus wrench. To kind of illustrate that was my fork. What's the numerical value of that? Of that <laughs> I could, yeah, unfortunately, that was, yeah, that's going to be hard. <laughs> now, is, now, is it up to like three or four dot o point dot, plus wrench? Or did you just go with, you know? You know, I don't, even, I don't even know. At some point, I, I think I might have just dropped the plus wrench after he deleted their original repo. Because I figured, okay, I guess it's my boat. Yeah. Um, so I also started doing binary releases myself. Um, so version 1.1, I added to the whitelisting where I, why I didn't write the code. I just merged the changes. I think Gus was primer on that or something or whatever. And, uh, I ended up using S3 for hosting the, the binaries, which it, at this point you should cue the foreboding music because <laughs> I was using my own personal S3 account for this. Oh, right. And it was, it exploded in popularity. Yep. Oh. And so the, um, package, I end up using a, uh, Package inst- uh, so there was a custom app that actually would install Click to Flash, and that's one of the things that I did along with Simone was uh, Simex on Twitter um, yep. was the we end up moving this to a .pkg installer, and that's where he, I think he and I both developed our our, our lifelong hate of the installer technology. <laughs> And I guess we should, uh, I should also put a link there into, uh, I believe it's called Little Package of Hate. I don't remember the, the episode number where I talk extensively <laughs> of what's terrible about it. Yeah. Little Package of Hate. We'll link to that. And then there was the scope expansion of Click, of Click to Flash. Um, you already mentioned part of it is that um, the idea that here you're on YouTube and YouTube can vend either Flash video or H.264 video. And it turns out that 
uh, Mac OS X actually has H.264 decoding built into it. You don't need external plugins for that. And so one of the things that ClickFlash could do is that it actually can reverse engineer how uh, YouTube was de- delivering uh, H.264 video and would actually vend H.264 video instead of Flash video, which was also less crashy and didn't burn your, burn your fan so much. Uh, another interesting thing that it, it did was uh, Cipher, which was scalable Inman flash replacement, which there was this idea that um, uh, this was before basically web fonts, and there was this like little, little scourge of time in the web where it's like, gosh darn it, we still have our you know same 13 fonts that we've ever had, and we really want to put our headlines in... in uh, I don't know, um, myriad. So, <clears throat> what we're going to do is that we're going to do some CSS and I guess it was primarily JavaScript magic, where we will load up the the normal text and then at runtime we will change it to actually be a flash box that actually can have our little our little good looking font in there. Oh so dynamically, yeah. So to dynamically replace a chunk of HTML with a flash box. <laughs> And so uh, click to flash had this technology called Decipher, which would notice this and then would basically undo it. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a wow. little, little bit of a, but it was actually pretty cool because and then you'd have the, these sites that otherwise would have these uh, this, like the headlines would just be these flash boxes and you click them and then this would be like text there, and we we detect exactly that and then we'd turn it back into this normal text. So you wouldn't even see the little click-to-flash gradient box at all. Ah, I got you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the other things had the ability is that uh, we hit invisible flash by default, although you could whitelist sites on it or something like that. So visible flash is that uh, there's yeah. some sites would use one pixel by one pixel flash boxes for nefarious purposes, primarily ad- tracking or ads or something like that. Yep. But there were a few sites, mostly audio sites, that would use this um, <clears throat> for audio playback because you know, the sound APIs of the web browser at the time were pretty pathetic. Uh, pretty, I guess pretty much non-existent. So they would have to use Flash, and so you could whitelist those sites. Um, so another, so I learned a bunch on this project. Um, one of the things is that uh, this was the first time I effectively used a public uh, public bug tracking system, um, and with Click the Flash being as popular as it was, there was a huge influx of of, of attention of yeah. of not only. <laughs> When you, once you understand how click to flash works, there's a lot of different ways you can break it. And CNN in particular, CNN.com, was <laughs> always at the forefront of somehow screwing with us that <laughs> we'd break them or they break us or whatever. So uh, we get a bunch of bug reports that way. I ended up creating like a bit.ly link for it. Uh, I think it's a bit.ly slash new click to flash bug. And it would go to the lighthouse ticket entry thing that people could enter into uh, what's exactly going wrong. And what ended up happening is that um, there was amazing amount of. I thought that this would just kind of be just a dumping ground of people kind of listing problems with different sites, and but it really became um, a really helpful community in terms of people helping each other out, and it, and um, it really built it built on like the direction of the project and what was the most important thing, and and uh, an important thing that fell out of that is that I honed. Um, Lighthouse, it's a, Lighthouse is is a decent bug tracker, um, 
the ticket the ticket settings it comes with, where you like tag things, is that I really disagree how they name things and how they color things. So I end up uh, renaming things and recoloring things in a way that I think uh, flows a lot better with an open source project. And I ended up blogging that, and I'll include a link to the show notes on that. And this actually has stayed with me through the years. I use it to this day on GitHub project issues. And I also have actually created a shell script to set up Git, GitHub project issues labels as a, the, exactly the same way as I described in that blog posting of your. And I, and I will, and I'll include a link to that. So that's in a gist, but you can take a look at that. Is this a shell script that sells a, that uses a GitHub API to set up the way I like right. things set up? Sure. Um, one of the things that, uh, the, uh, Domain name itself, clicktoflash.com. For, for the longest time, it was just, it was you know, github.com slash wrench slash clicktoflash, and that's right. that's not very, you know, it works. You know, you're linking off a, a blog or whatever, but that's kind of um, kind of passing that around isn't the greatest thing. So, uh, turns out there is another entity that owned clicktoflash.com that had it was a sitting dormant and had been sitting dormant for a long time. I don't, I don't know what they were going to plan on use it for. I was, and obviously this this name of this project this kind of like and you know just accidentally uh, landed on theirs but um simone kind of reached out to them and got me involved and we ended up uh they basically just end up gifting us they and they ended up not renewing the domain and we picked it up so they didn't really gift it to us but they just you know didn't try charges for it <laughs> anything so that's good um <clears throat> Interesting thing is that I seem to remember it was the most forked GitHub project for a while. And I think that's what Chris like Ransoff... Any project on GitHub? I think so. I'm, I'm not sure. This was this is something that Chris Ransoff told me uh, at JSConf in a bar. And so it, it might have been like <laughs> second most or something like that. So it, might... it was high. It was highly, highly forked. <laughs> highly forked. So it was a very popular project. And it ended up um, even winning a Macworld Eddie Award. Uh, which is that thing that looks like the Oscar? Th- Oscar. Now, do you uh, have that? Is that in your possession? It is in my possession. Although right now it's actually uh, it should be in Simone's apartment because it sat with me for a number of years, and he wanted to uh, have it for a while. So it's it's kind of making its way around the various contributors. I should go have a look. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so. Th- like I said, I was not expecting uh, Click to Flash to get as as popular as it was, um, and it ended up that I. So you you <laughs> went into a downward spiral of drugs and alcohol <laughs> in response to the fame. Right, right, yeah. Um, mostly it was big bandwidth bills, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. you know it's you know I set up like everyone did. Like iOS three came out, so I was like okay, create account, put some stuff there, and it's like and you get a bill, and it was like for years I it would like be two cents. I'm like, come on, Amazon, like you're you're losing money just through the credit card billing system, and you're and then and then I knew I was in trouble when. <laughs> Oh, when yeah. the invoice came in that one that month and it was sixty dollars, I'm like, what the? Because <laughs> they ordered the magnitude expansion there. I'm like, this is not a trajectory I like at all. And then the next month after that was a few hundred and was going up from there. Oh man! And I knew that this little free project that I, I had cobbled together is not financially feasible. I should have gotten VC money, money and injected ads, but unfortunately, it wasn't that evil back then. <laughs> Are um, you that evil now? You know, that's the problem. You know, <laughs> now I am now, but now no one cares. Um, oh, I doubt that. <laughs> so, 
I uh, I started asking for donations, and I uh, ended up uh, doing that via PayPal. And you you wouldn't believe the number of donations that flowed in. We never put it like on on the main like you know wasn't like in your UI or anything. I think it was just on like twitchfast.com or something like that. And man, those donations came in, and re- they did actually end up paying off all my bandwidth bills. Oh, so that nice. was yeah, that's really amazing. Um, and in the it was like I said, that was unsustainable. So I ended up uh, migrating, once I realized that this was happening, I migrated the downloads to GitHub. Um, GitHub was offering file downloads at the time. And they went to a period where they weren't, but now they kind of are again. But anyway, so I moved it to the downloads to GitHub. And I felt guilty because I know I was racking up their, <laughs> with my stupid little project, I know I was racking up their bandwidth bills too. So I ended up just buying a, a micro plan just to alleviate my guilt. Even though I didn't need it for the open source click to fast project, at least I could give them my lousy seven bucks a month. <laughs> so a, that, a GitHub micro plan? You mean? Right. A Git, yeah. yeah, GitHub. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, Chris did offer me to actually have a free account there. I'm like, no, no, at least I could do is, like, pay for a stupid micro plan to make me feel a little bit better. You're not convincing but. me you're evil there, Wolf. <laughs> uh, so a few, a few other things here is that um, probably technically an interesting thing that happened was um, Sparkle. And one of the first things that I knew that ClickFlash had to do is have uh, a self-updating system. Have updating, sure. And uh, Sparkle is obviously the go-to framework for that. And the problem is that uh, WebKit.Framework is pervasive on Mac apps. And since ClickTheFlash is a WebKit plugin, that means so is ClickTheFlash. And what this ends up meaning is that also Sparkle is a pretty popular software updating framework. And this is where we ran into the problem of, of collisions, where um, ClickTheFlash's Sparkle would end up overriding, say, Coda's Sparkle. Or, or mail act on, or I have a blog posting on that where it was a very interesting. Where it was like it was this mashup of it show a Sparkle panel came up and it said, you know, you're using old version of Click the Flash. Why do you upgrade? Uh, this is a new version. And then the detail in the HTML view in the web view there was actually the mail act on description of bug fixes. And so there's a really weird mashup of different chunks of software. And this is actually where I came up with. Uh, NS, which is my poor man's namespacing for Objective-C, which I also linked to, um, end up not... I want to integrate that into Sparkle, but Sparkle was kind of a lull at the time, and I think I was in the process of transitioning off Launchpad to GitHub, and <clears throat> Andy was busy with other things. So, uh, Simone pretty much led the uh, effort for to get Sparkle running outside of, outside of the plugin itself and kind of deal with that issue. And so, much prompts to him, and that pretty much solved the issue. Cool. And yeah, so there's if uh, also include a link to end up with you know being the most forked project in, or or at least very popular on GitHub. End up with a bunch of contributors. I'll include a link to the uh, links to uh, kind of contributors. But uh, the the top three other than me was uh, Jeff Johnson. So I end up I did end up writing a bunch of click to flash code. So I wasn't just you know a manager ish. But Jeff Johnson, who used to be a lap guy. Lapcat on Twitter, but he he's gotten very mad at Twitter and doesn't do that anymore. Well, he's uh, still th- on uh, app.net. He's still on app.net, so yes, go Com- on. Complaining away. Yeah. yeah. Michael Baltox, um, he, I believe he's in Sydney, and of course, Simone. Uh, interesting Simone, thing. Simone Man- Mangeli, right? Man- yeah, Mangeli, yeah, right. Yeah. I guess... <laughs> I guess I've never tried to pronounce his last name. <laughs> Actually, I have. I've butchered so many times. I'm glad you, you took that on. Um, sure. <laughs> the... <clears throat> 
uh, interesting thing is that uh, I've I've switched to Chrome a, a while back, and it basically the click to flash abilities has been built into Chrome for a long time. It used to be kind of this hidden feature under Chrome colon slash slash flag, so you would enable it, and they say, "Watch out, this might not actually work." But now, if you go to settings, advanced settings, privacy, content settings, hit that button, plugins. Now they you can hit the radio button that says click to play. And you basically have Click the Flash built into Chrome nowadays. Oh, boy. No, I never even looked into that. That's yep. cool. Mm-hmm. I should do that. Uh, yep. And then Click to Flash kind of, kind of fizzed out in a, in a way I didn't expect and I'm not happy with. So uh, it was like 1.5.x or something was out for a while. And we were actively working on 1.6. And I was pretty busy with work. And I got this, I got this huge monolithic pull request that... Oh, it added a bunch of features and was really great. But and the problem is, it was like based off and like click the flash development was on a pretty fast pace, and so it was it was out of date, and so I couldn't just merge it in. And it 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 was because it was so monolithic. It wasn't even like a bunch of commits where I could cherry pick. It was like one huge commit that touched almost everything. Huh. And so I, so this is where I, I really screwed up. Is that I basically choked on this pull request for far too long. I, I felt badly. I didn't want to tell the author that you know you gotta break this down for me before I could accept it. And I just kept on thinking, well, you know, work will will uh, lighten up a little bit, and I'll be able to get get to it or whatever. And it ends up that like 1.6 beta, this pretty much stayed that uh, was out for way too long, and up turned out forever. That uh, I guess I we never shipped a 1.6 final, and that's because uh, Safari 5.1 ended up dropping support for WebKit plugins. Uh, there was I think Safari 5 or something end up adding this thing called Safari extensions, which are basically these bundles of of uh, JavaScript and HTML and CSS that um, <laughs> that uh, can like eject themselves into pages and, and modify things, and. Um, so there was this, there was uh, Mark Hoyas, I think I pronounced his name correctly, end up creating a click to plugin Safari extension. Mm-hmm. And so when Safari 5.1 ended up dropping in the main way that click to flash worked, um, the click to plugin was already in a state where it had already, t- using that mechanism, that t- totally different mechanism of Safari extensions, had already. Um, Done a lot of what Click the Flash could do, the pl- web plugin version. So at that point, it's like, well, is it? It didn't seem to me it was worth me trying to power through this pull request and get anything done. Is this? Was it basically a dead end project? And was that where the pull request had come from? Is the people who were doing Click the plugin? No, no, a different okay. guy. So it. So I talked to Mark a little bit about maybe joining efforts or something, or maybe you know subsuming his repo into my repo, or whatever. But he was already like off to the races, and he was doing a great job of managing the, that project. And so, at the at the end of the day, what ended up happening is this on the clicktoflash.com website, we just I, we end up putting a banner on top saying, "Hey, Safari Five One breaks us. Why don't you check out this guy's instead?" And I think I suspect that you say you're running click to click to flash or click to plugin. I suspect you're running Marks. I'm 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 running click to plugin right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, interesting thing is that click to flash got me branded as a flash hater, which, like a lot of people, I <laughs> I I have my my issues with flash, and uh, obviously I like click to flash. That's why I did what I did with everything, but it really confused the 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 uh, issue with the app store in section three three one, where 
it had to do with Flash on the iPhone, where uh, you know, it's basically uh, Adobe was working on an LLVM compiler for ActionScript, so that they could you could actually write you know quote unquote Flash apps for the iPhone. And Apple introduced uh, uh, Section three three one to ban all alternative languages, and, every, yeah. and everyone was saying, "Oh, that's just you know, that's just because um, they actually don't want Flash on the iPhone." And so here it is, and obviously I have big issues with Section 331, but is, is this, you have to kind of take a nuanced view here. That, yes, I, I only want to run Flash when I want to run it, and most of the time that's not. And uh, I haven't even installed Flash on my own machine. Uh, whatever Flash I need is built into Chrome. And, but um, it, I'm... You know the technology of Flash. Uh, I think Will Shipley made a point here, but it's like you look at like PDF as a technology, and you look at Adobe's kind of crappy PDF reader. And granted, it does a lot, but it's it, at least it used to be. I haven't used it in, in ages, but it was a pretty crappy application user experience wise, and it was slow. Oh yeah, and bloated <laughs> and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And somehow Apple, like I remember when like OS X shipped and like opening up a PDF in it, it. It blew my mind how fast they could open up PDFs and how fast they could they could actually because it seemed for me it seemed like I, I thought they were having to do like LWZ decompression or something which they probably do I don't know but it seemed like it was like part of the file format that things had to be slow if it were PDF and it blew my mind when Preview.app could just you know show pages as soon as you open them and we simply made the point that is you know Apple probably could have done a better job of like building a Flash player than Adobe Adobe itself oh definitely. Yeah, but um, anyway, so overall, it was an awesome experience, and I had a had a ton of fun doing it, and I'm glad it's over. <laughs> well, it sounded like you were a little bittersweet that it was over too, at least in terms of exactly how it went. But yeah, but you're you're you've come to terms with that now. You've um, you've moved on. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it's it's this was a few years back when Safari Five One came out and, and yeah. killed that that revenue. So, so you know, really, you're not involved in it at all. Pretty much not anymore. You know, I, I you know I haven't even checked my pull request. I'm sure I have a bunch I never just never respond to it or anything like that. Well, you mean the the original click to flash repository? Right. 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 Well, it doesn't really matter anymore. I mean, right. can you close a repository? Can you can you sort of cut it off? And oh so, yeah, I could go and delete it, but you know, people have forced. Well, no, I don't mean delete it. No, I don't mean delete it because it it would be nice to have the history there. It's just like make it clear that that you guys shouldn't. If you want to fork it, you can, but I'm not going to make any more changes to this repository. Um, yeah, that. I don't think so. I yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that wasn't some sort right. of feature. Right. But yeah, because yeah. why mm-hmm. would GitHub want to encourage that? Right. Right. They want you to keep using it. Mm-hmm. But it would be interesting if you could do that because then it would make it clear to people. You know, no, I'm not going to do any more on this. Although I guess. Abandoned GitHub repositories are a dime a dozen, so it's not like people <laughs> don't don't understand what what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So is that um? That's pretty else? much it. Yep, that's it for me. Um, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna try to work in a joke about oh, you don't like Flash? Do you like Green Lantern or something? But uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you for not working that joke in. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So we'll see you next time. <laughs>